You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. Back in Proverbs chapter 9, you can make your way there, Proverbs 9. To give it a blanket shot, I'll just say uh, my wife fell, she fractured her pelvis, and so if you don't know that, now you do, and uh, we're okay, life is good, I push her around the house, Uh, we stay in one room. And uh, right now she's a little bit immobile, but uh, she still eats, she still sleeps, and she still smiles. And our uh, 48th anniversary is in a few weeks, and so by then we'll be running and jumping. Right. <laughs> Probably not. But anyway, we're, uh, we're praising the Lord that she's okay. Aside from falling. But it goes to show that, uh, as an example, that life can change in a moment. Things can go completely different than you had planned. And uh, that happens to all of us. And so uh, uh, we're all going to have those things. And if you haven't had any life experiences yet that are unique and different that you weren't expecting, uh, you will. But most of us have had that. And so we, uh, we go through that with grace. We ask God to help us. We're talking about wisdom in the series, and I want to uh, say that today is our last, I'm sure you're thrilled, that this is our last event in, in this book for a little while, for a few weeks. But I want to uh, just remind us that it, it would be a good exercise as a believer in Christ if you were to think about uh, spending more time in the book of Proverbs. It's not one of those places I often go for motivational or inspirational. Sometimes I need something to stir me, and uh, Proverbs isn't always that kind of a book. But uh, we have a calendar, and uh, every so many months there are 31 days. I would recommend on those months with 31 days, read a proverb every day along with whatever else you read. The more time you spend in the wisdom of God, the more you'll have a readiness to deal with life And life is coming. It comes in waves. It comes, as we said, unexpectedly. And how we invest ourselves in God's word, and especially in God's wisdom, will help us make better decisions, quick better decisions, and keep us out of trouble. Uh, This has been a study to uh, prepare us to read the Proverbs. So from chapter 10 through uh, all the way through uh, 29, chapter 29, are the actual Proverbs. This has been an introduction to the book of Proverbs. And so uh, I hope that that's been of uh, interest and help to you, but I certainly have a burden and passion that we have more uh, wisdom today than those around us, because this is a day when we absolutely need wisdom. Uh, In fact, if I could say this, uh, there's never been a time 
like we're experiencing these days. And everybody says that, and I understand that. But the majority of people, I think, don't believe that it's going to continue. I think most people think that things are going to improve. And I don't want to stand here and be the uh, spokesperson for negative thinking. I don't want to be pessimistic. I want to be honest. I don't think that things are going to get better. I'm not saying that you can't have a better day tomorrow. I'm not saying you can't have fun with your family tomorrow. But what I am saying is that as life and days and weeks and months go on, uh, we're in a regressive time period of our life. This is when things are winding down and God's agenda is winding up. And this is a time when the evil one will be rising more and more to the surface where I think it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that he'll become uh, fully revealed in his day. And I think that's coming. And with that in mind, obviously, we have to have our minds and our hearts set uh, as taking things more serious. Certain things in our lives must be more serious than they've been, perhaps. Perhaps that's not the need for you, but it is for me. So that God's word must take a higher place and profile in our lives than maybe it has. And so I'm calling us to uh, understand that and consider that. We're studying today the, the worthiness of the wisdom of God. Uh, against or in opposition to all those other sources of truth, supposed truth, and uh, wisdom that's out in our world today. So last week I tried to walk us through the, the first uh, six verses of chapter 9, and I called it the bounty and blessing uh, of wisdom. I wanted to uh, uh, contrast that with the latter part, which is the uh, verse 13 through verse 18, which we're going to call today the, the brashness and beastliness of the foolish woman. Uh, we said in this series earlier that we're talking about really two, uh, uh, two uh, personalizations or uh, personifications, if you will, of the Word of God. Uh, wisdom is in a feminine form and uh, a, a, an op opposing form of wisdom, it's the world's truth and so on, is called the foolish woman. Sorry, ladies, it's just a feminine form. It has nothing to do with you, just so you know. You're much smarter than I am. And that's, I have to remind myself that all the time. I tell my wife that. You're much smarter than me. She says, well, you don't believe it. You just say it. <laughs> but I'm really starting to believe it now. In between, uh, last week we talked about the fact that wisdom offers us this sort of bounty and blessing. So very quickly, let me highlight in verse 1, wisdom built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. I was trying to say last week that wisdom has, uh, in this sort of uh, uh, visual, has provided for us a place. Uh, it says here a house. It's a, it's a place where I can camp out in, in God's truth. I can camp out in wisdom. I know I have a place of, of solace, of peace, a, a place that is safe a place that I can trust uh, uh, what I'm hearing, what, I, what I'm reading, what I'm uh, understanding, because it's God's place. And so he kind of provides for us a place, a, a house, uh, built on seven pillars. The idea simply is that God's work in our lives is built on a foundation that's perfect. And so it's not a house of cards. It's not going to collapse. Uh, it's not going to fail you uh, like oftentimes other things do. The word of God is always secure and trustworthy. Aren't you glad for that? 
so that, that's the general idea. Then, then uh, wisdom, uh, uh, we, we use these illustrations here. She slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. And, you know, that may not sound encouraging to you, but the idea here is that wisdom provides for us a, a table uh, in our lives that is fully, uh, uh, full, it says fully furnished, her table. It's, it's uh, got the best of everything. It has a place that will satisfy us, a place that will meet our needs. Uh, wisdom provides for us all those things that are necessary to give us life and give us life abundant. And that's the idea. Then it goes on and says, wisdom has sent out her maidens. Uh, it's verse uh, three. She's, she cries out from the highest places. Uh, wisdom pursues us. Now, again, this is the wisdom of God. God is pursuing us through his wisdom. He wants us to know that his wisdom is made available to us. And it's not just a book on a shelf that's neutral, that uh, never uh, uh, has any impact in our life unless we pick it up. Actually, wisdom is pursuing us. God wants you to know that he's calling out. He's, he's doing that in so many different ways. When I was younger, I uh, was not obviously an avid reader in the Word. I, I knew it was right to read the Word, and I did uh, as much as I thought to do that as a young person. But wisdom had other avenues into my ears. And so even today, uh, uh, under the preaching of God's Word, there's wisdom that's being shouted out, not from the pulpit over a sound system, yes, but wisdom is trying to get our attention. Uh, wisdom uh, sometimes speaks to us through music, and sometimes good music can impact us in various ways, through the voices of people around us, through our parents, uh, our homes, perhaps, uh, through a teacher. There's various ways that wisdom was always calling out to me. And, of course, God's Word is the uh, greatest source of wisdom. We come to uh, today's text, which starts at verse 7. Where between these two contrasting voices, uh, Solomon wants to give us uh, an exhortation here. It's an exhortation to those who are seeking wisdom. And it says this in verse 7. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. And he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Now this is an introduction to this last section. Uh, but as, as, as Solomon's writing this, he wants us to know that, again, there's two opposite forms here. There's those who are scoffers that will be in our life. And then he'll go on and say in verse 8, uh, at the end of verse 8, rebuke a wise man and he will love you. You know, give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. So first we have this uh, issue here of a scoffer, and I could put it into different terms that I've learned through my own life. Avoid interactions or confrontations with a scoffer is another way of saying it. Avoid rebuking a wicked man. Avoid correcting a scoffer. And he tells us in the text why, because a scoffer, uh, uh, whatever they do, it'll come back to you in forms of shame, harm, or hatred. And I have to remind us uh, of a simple definition of a scoffer. A scoffer is someone who's never wrong. A scoffer is somebody who, in their own mind, uh, they're always right, so they never accept correction. Uh, they never accept questioning. Sometimes a scoffer can be a narcissistic person, but that's not always the case. Uh, there are many uh, scoffers uh, that stand against Christianity, and they may not be scoffers in other areas of their life, but they certainly are 
against those who follow Jesus Christ. They have no interest in hearing about the gospel. They have no interest in hearing about the Son of God who claims to be the only way to heaven. And it's tough for all of us, you and I, if we have a scoffer in our family. It's really tough. And if you have a scoffer, if they're in your immediate family or even your extended family, that's a very difficult thing. Now, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 10, is a proverb recommending how to deal with a scoffer. And it says this, cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. Over the course of uh, the 22 years, is it, I think? Is it 22 years we've been here? Over the course of 22 years, we've had a couple of scoffers in our church that I know about. I honestly don't know anybody here is a scoffer today. And I'm thrilled about that. And I can tell you that when God sort of moved them out of our flock, because they just didn't see anything right happening here, we had peace. And it was a blessing. I enjoy coming to church and being with you. I'm going to let that hang till you say something back. <laughs> I enjoy coming and being with you. It's, it's, uh, it's fun, and it's certainly a blessing to have a congregation of people that actually love each other, uh, care for one another, uh, that don't backbite behind others, that don't whisper things, which I don't think we have here. Do we? I don't think we do. It says, cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. What it does not say is try to reason with a scoffer. I think that's interesting for us to understand today. Because what happens is that, as we were just told in the Word of God, it doesn't come back in a good way. If this person's in your immediate family... Proverbs 10, verse 13, tells us how to deal with this person. It's not popular today, by the way. A rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. Now, I have never had a rod placed upon me, but I've had a paddle taken to me. We don't use rods today. That just sounds strange. A rod, that sounds fierce. A paddle's flat. Doesn't sound so bad. And, uh, you know, I had teachers in high school that drilled holes in the paddles, made them out of hickory because they didn't want them to break when they laid it on you. They even paddled some of the girls, which I was like, yeah, it's about time. You know, equal opportunity, you know. So I can tell you that that's a good instructive tool (laughs) to help in our lives and that's what the Word of God is saying. Now, verse 17 of chapter 10 says something different. He who refuses correction goes astray. One of the most sad things that I can think of in my life are those in my life that have been so resistant, uh, so rebellious to correction, whether it's verbal correction or if it has to be Uh, something more serious because it's so critically important 
And the Word of God is just simply saying that there is a point in the stage in our lives where there are some things that can maybe be a course-correcting thing in our lives. But once a person gets to a point where they become a scoffer in, in their adult life, I'm telling you, it's too late. And so all we can do, I think that's useful, is pray for someone who's a scoffer if they're in your life. Ask God for mercy. Ask God for help. Jesus, in Matthew 5, verse 44, Jesus actually said, pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. And that certainly could be in the league of a scoffer. Not once do we read of Jesus speaking out ever against the immorality of of, uh, leaders around him, public leaders. So he never said a thing about Herod, never said a thing about Caesar. Uh, Neither did Paul, by the way, which I think is interesting. Uh, But Jesus never, uh, 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 you know, scolded a soldier. Uh, He never took on a tax collector with some kind of authoritative, uh, you know, way to sort of deal with them. Uh, uh, Any unbeliever, for that matter, except one exception, all those hypocritical religious leaders. He did have something to say to them. Those who were falsely pretending to be God's representatives. And so the Lord did certainly deal with them because they were in this category of those who scoff, certainly against Jesus himself, but also against anyone who did not measure up to their standard. And so I can say that, you know, we, uh, we avoid scoffers typically, but you've got to be careful with people. Obviously, it's an issue. And I have learned not to be afraid of people, but certainly to know the wisdom of staying out of certain things I don't need to get my nose into, and knowing that I can't always just correct somebody who's wrong if they have that attitude of they're not going to be corrected. It does no good to stand and try to correct someone like that. You just got to deal with them. I was watching a thing on YouTube the other day. I I kind of am always interested in these court cases where they're they're bringing down punishment on somebody, and usually it's uh, teens that I'm interested in mainly, but then sometimes other guys. But this one fellow was uh, brought into court. This one, in one case, he was brought into court. He was actually going to be given the death uh, sentence. And he's sitting there for the entire court time, which was about an hour. And as soon as he sat in the seat, he flopped his head over to his side and went to sleep. And he slept through the entire thing. They made him stand up for the, uh, uh, for the sentencing. And so he slowly got up with this attitude of, really, I don't care. And uh, the judge just said, you know, on behalf of all the, all the evidence and your uh, inability to be corrected, uh, this is the penalty, the death penalty. The guy didn't even care. Another case, I saw a teenager who was mouthing off to the judge. And this happens a lot now for some reason. Mouthing off. So every time the kid mouthed off, the judge added another three years. And the guy just kept mouthing off. Three more. Three more. Three more. And the guy got up to about 15 years extra just for being with an attitude. And so this is a very serious thing that we have in our lives. We're seeing a, a trend in our culture today where so many are, are, are not just skeptics anymore. They're now scoffers against any kind of authority and against truth. Conversely, look at verse 8. Again, that second part. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Uh, give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. And so there's this uh, recognition that there are those who are receptive, and it's, it's such a good thing when someone is receptive because it's going to make an impact in a good way in their life. Proverbs 27, verse 17, a, a verse we probably many of us know. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. 
You know, when I think about that, I, uh, uh, if you uh, take the, I, I'll take the blades off my mower to sharpen them sometimes or a couple times a year, and I'll take the blade off. Now, I have a grinder that I used to use, and I would t- put the blade on the grinder, and of course, that makes a lot of sparks, and that's just fun for a guy to make lots of sparks. And I'm in the shed with gasoline cans all around me and stuff, and Marilyn thinks I'm going to blow the world up. I'm, I'm not. It's okay. But anyway, but I have a, a, a hand file, and I know that when I use the hand file, I don't make sparks. Matter of fact, it, I can actually uh, be more meticulous about where I'm actually sharpening that blade and do a better job, actually, than the grinder. And, and in a sense, that's kind of what it's saying here. As iron sharpens iron, so there's this friendship that we should have in our lives where we are, are glad that a, a person who loves us has the uh, enough love for us that they care about us enough that they can slide along beside us and, uh, and perhaps, uh, in a sense, sharpen us by uh, sharing something that we might not necessarily want to hear, but it's good for us to hear it and hopefully we'll listen. In uh, that same chapter, 27, back in verse 9, it says this, The sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. I wonder how many of us don't like anyone else telling us that we did something wrong. We're not doing something quite the way it ought to be. I struggle with that. Is anybody else? Would anybody else want to join me? I, I, I have a hard time with that sometimes. But the Word of God is saying wisdom is something we need, and we need to hear truth. And the reason why some people are scoffers to the truth about heaven and hell and a Savior who loves them, they just can't take the friction of thinking that they're wrong. And and in a case like this, what we're saying is that we need to have an openness to ourselves. And this is where wisdom comes into our life. Wisdom enables us to uh, be the receptor of someone who wants to help us, encourage us, um, make us better. And sometimes we just translate things wrong. But here's the thing. We should share with others, not with intentional friction. I got to get to them and I got to hammer them about this. But we come to them with a sincere honesty. That says, I, I love you. I, I got to share this with you. I, can, can, would you give me permission to say this? And how we slide into a situation like that is, I think, wisdom and enables someone to then maybe drop their defenses and listen to us. Often in counseling, that's uh, probably a technique that I use a lot with people. I try to make them feel comfortable in my office. Uh, I've had a few say to me, oh, here we go. You're just doing the intro You're to get to the hard stuff. I'm like, yeah, I just want to be nice uh, because I'm not your enemy. But I have some hard things to say. But I hope you'll listen. Well, by the same token, then, we, as we think about this, this idea of, of the delight, a friend gives us delight by hearty counsel. Here's a person that receives this, this uh, truth or confrontational truth with gratitude. It enables them to grow and deepen and become the kind of person Christ wants them to be. Remember this, wisdom, verse 10, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. So understanding, he says, comes from the knowledge of the Holy One. So the more I know Jesus, the more I study Jesus, and uh, maybe in the Gospels to hang out there and just listen and read and think about what he's saying and how he responds to people. Uh, But also that, the more I understand who God is and who I understand how I am, my flesh, my weaknesses, my, my tendencies, my frailties, my 
my, my messes, uh, in light of him and in his presence, it should cause us to have a deeper fear of him. And that word fear, again, is that idea of I'm, I'm awestruck by his presence, his greatness, his purity, his, his power, his glory, but even his love. It's a mystery. And the fact that he loves me, I, I, there could even be a sense of fear that would God not love me if I did this? And I think some of us operate like that. I don't think it's wrong to be careful about how we live because we want to please him. We are, folks, you and I, we are absolutely privileged today to know that God himself has led us to himself. You know what I'm saying? Our awareness of God and our being awakened to his will through his word is our most wonderful blessing in this life. And how sad when we are with someone that we love who doesn't get that, doesn't want to receive that. And note in verse 11 something here. Look at verse 11 with me. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. So just the fact that we have a healthy fear of God and a desire to know him even more even adds to our life this idea of multiplication of days and extending our years. Not in every case, but certainly for the most of us, that's true. A fellow by the name of Dennis Davidson, he has a series called uh, Corrections for Life, made this statement about wisdom. Wisdom is not merely an intellectual power. It is a moral quality or character. The wise are not self-willed or self-sufficient, but with great receptivity. They embrace instruction and make use of every opportunity to improve their moral character. The teachable take in instruction like necessary nutrition. Oh, how we need that. There's a story that goes with that about uh, the famous Abraham Lincoln, we all know. And, uh, you know, Lincoln was uh, wanting to impress another fellow politician, so he had issued a, uh, an order to uh, transfer some regiments to another place. And the Secretary of War, Edward Stanton, got word of that, and he said out loud, the president is a fool, <laughs> to which got back to Lincoln. And Lincoln made this reply. He said, if Stanton said I'm a fool, then I must be, for he is nearly always right. I'll see for myself. So the president met with Stanton, and Lincoln realized that his order was wrong after that meeting, and without hesitation, he withdrew it, which is an example, if you know anything about the history of Lincoln, that Lincoln was known for his great and wise humility. It was one of the most attractive things about someone who, who was not attractive, typically, but that, his, his personality, he could be trusted uh, with information, and he wasn't going to overreact and overrespond to things. So God's spirit that works in you and I as followers of Christ, God's spirit can be hindered from working in my life and your life. And how that happens is uh, when we allow pride and stubbornness and an unwillingness to change uh, become a part of our life. We become basically unteachable when those things are ruling our lives. 
So it's difficult for you, it's difficult for me, certainly, to admit that I'm wrong at times. But wisdom remains open to the possibility. So I've got to have wisdom in my life, ruling my life, because wisdom's going to say, Stuart, maybe you're wrong. Maybe you need to just stop and focus and listen. And so I'm hoping all of us can have that mindset because we're all prone to error, every one of us. We're all prone to have faulty judgment. We all have a, uh, a, a sense that others, and I think sometimes not a sense, but we need to have this. Others see our faults better than we do. That is a fact. And sometimes I always want to say, no, you don't know me as well as I know myself. Well, what I show people is what they see, and what they see can be evaluated. And usually what we show, we lose track of if we're showing, if we're putting on a facade. It's hard to keep track of that anyway, but others can see through that. Back in our text in verse 12, there's another part of verse 12 that's interesting. It says that if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you will bear it alone. It's interesting that verse 12 is here because... uh, Uh, What it's saying is that if you exercise wisdom, it's great for everyone else. Our exercise of wisdom is going to help other people. My exercise of wisdom is going to know when to talk about Jesus, when to share the gospel, when to care and, and be a verbal voice for Christ in many different situations. But the greatest value is for myself and for you. When you exercise wisdom, the word of God is saying it's especially good for you. I don't know if you ever thought about that. And so, obviously, I want God's Spirit to work in my own life. I want God's Spirit to have control. And I don't want to be what it says here about a scoffer. The scoffers will bear it alone. There's a very sad statement. Far worse than that, but it, it accompanies that. It's in Proverbs 10, verse 7. This should put fear in anyone who has any family member who's a scoffer. Listen to what it says. The name of the wicked will rot. I think we need to just understand that someone who comes into our life who's just unteachable, unreachable in many ways, we fear that we can't break through, we can't uh, make sense with this person, we can't even argue truth to this person, and we see they're on a trajectory, and the trajectory, of course, is destruction eventually, but even their own name and reputation are something that no one cares about and are glad to see them go. And that is a terrible thing to hear. That brings us to this uh, contrasting woman in verse 13. We have wisdom, and now we have a foolish woman. She is clamorous, she is simple, and knows nothing. So she's loud, uh, she's simple and ignorant. That's really what it's saying. The, The world... Under Satan's domain, of course, I want to say, is obnoxious. The world is proud, brash, base. And there's one basic message that's given to all of us just about every day. Live, enjoy, and take what you can while you can. It's kind of the world's theme. And the world is ignorant of two major things. I want to say, and when I talk about the world, and when I talk about the world or the foolish woman, I'm talking about every avenue of access to things that we think are good for us, are, are things to, to, to pursue, uh, things to think, things to uh, believe. So there's all kinds of a myriad of voices that are bombarding us with all kinds of things. 
And I'm saying all of that together, there's two things it doesn't understand. One is eternal existence, and the second one is eternal consequence. So when someone, you know, that I see that's skeptical to critical to scoffing, the sad news about that person is that most likely they're unchangeable in that unless by God's grace somehow a miracle happens in their life. And they are on a path that leads them down this road. And it's a horrendous road because their eternal existence that they think isn't important or hell's going to be a party or whatever they want to say or it's non-existent and we're just here as animals anyway. Whatever the, the humanity wants to say about themselves. But eternal consequence is something that no one thinks is real. So that's why no one wants us to preach about hell. And dear friend, I want you to know that there is a hell. Hell is real. Hell is coming. Hell is waiting. And hell has a wide open path that's inviting anyone who will come its way. Sad. Now, I want to say this. Even though the world doesn't know about eternal existence and consequence, it's really more of a deliberate thing than it is a naive thing. Look what Paul wrote. You all know this, but let me go to Romans 1 again and just remind us of what his word says. When I am reminded when someone will not listen, when someone will not receive the gospel, when somebody doesn't care about Jesus, when they won't allow a conversation that would even talk about uh, spiritual truths, uh, uh, when someone's that resistant, I always remind myself of this text, which helps me. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, here it is, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, in their fleshly ways, in their fleshly thinking, in their fleshly rebellion, they crush the truth. I will not hear it. I do not want to hear it. I do not believe it. I don't care about it. Uh, Don't say anything else to me. I don't need to hear that. Uh, And they suppress the truth that they know there is a truth. They just don't want to hear it. It goes on, verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. Interesting. It's internal. There's place in every person a voice, a voice of truth, a voice that says there is right and wrong in the world. And every person, even pagan tribes in other countries, have a sense of right and wrong, even if it's their own definitions. Look at the next verse, verse 24. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, uh, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Uh, In my margin, I wrote down the word conscience. People have a conscience. It may not be my conscience. It may not think like my conscience does, because my conscience has been infiltrated by the Spirit of God. But a person still has some basic sense of some kind of truth, and they are just deliberately saying no to it. 
That's a very sad thing. So she's loud, simple, and ignorant, this, these voices. The second thing about these voices is in verse 14. And it's simply interesting when we go back to our text and read this, that this voice that's represented here, she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by. Now what's interesting about this is that in contrast to the first six verses where we read that wisdom uh, you know, has, been, has sent out her maidens or her voices. Wisdom has sent out her uh, ambassadors uh, trying to find us, pursue us, and, and so we'll hear a message. Wisdom is calling out to us because wisdom knows we need wisdom desperately. The world's voice, the world's thinking, the world's processes just sits and waits. And, and, and that communicates several things. First of all, this is just the world. The world is what it is, right? It's a world created by God, but it's under the curse of sin. We all know that. It doesn't care one ounce. So all these voices, all these myriad of sounds and choices and all these things, they don't care one ounce for anyone. They are under Satan's control. And so as we read here, it, it's kind of these voices, this foolish woman waits like a spider's web for a moth. Psalm if you would, Psalm 10, verses 8 through 10, really clarifies this. It's talking about, back to, the, back to a, a masculine pronoun, it's referring to the wicked one. So he, the wicked, or we could say the scoffer, each one, sits in the lurking places. He goes on and says, in the secret places. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly. It goes on and says, he lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. Talk about words of wisdom from our word of God. Warning us about the, the treachery and the, and the horrendous uh, ravenous evil that's just waiting for us to walk by with an interest in what it has to offer. It calls out. Verse 15, it calls to those who pass by. Look at the parallel uh, over in, uh, in verse, uh, 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 verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Let him turn in here. And look what the voice is going to say uh, over in our text. Uh, Verse 16, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. One is pursuing us and saying that. Whoever is simple, listen, please listen. Uh, Wisdom is trying to say to someone sitting here this morning, listen, please listen, and calling out to us. This other myriad of voices is just content to sit there and say, uh, whoever is walking past, come on in. I'm just sitting here waiting for you. And it says in verse 16, as for him who lacks understanding, this voice, she says to him, and then she gives this invitational uh, sense of what she has to offer. The whole point is that uh, when people are walking down, it it uses this phrase, walking straight on the way, uh, you know, just walking by, 
She calls to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. So people who are naively, ignorantly just walking along through life, and they stumble across something that is ready to catch them. I made mention, I think, of uh, something I, I think last week or the week before, but let me just say this. I don't think I said this uh, at the time. I, I have a, on my phone, I have a, a Fox News app that I read. I, I, I read other ones, but I still go to Fox. I'm sorry. It's not an advertisement. But anyway, uh, on their app on my phone. So I'm looking at articles, and they're all headlined, and so I'm reading through the articles. And I don't know, every so often, about every five or six articles, there's a, an, an, an interlude, there's a, an interplaced ad. I don't know if any of you do this, but you've seen it if you do. There's an interplaced ad, and that ad is usually seductive, just a little bit tempting, and it has a little bit of a, a phrase that goes with it to call you out of the news item, and if you punch on it, it takes you to another place, and it just wants to interrupt your flow of thinking and take you to this other thing, and it it's completely has nothing to do with the news. It shouldn't even be in the news file, and I often say to myself, who put this in here, this stupid thing? Why is that in the news section? And I can only boil it down to some person thinks that this would be good to insert this, or they get paid a kickback to put this in there. Obviously, they do which really irritates me. And those little sidebars are meant to especially take those who are reading the news, so guys my age probably, and maybe a bit younger, but guys my age, that's, that's there to steer us off the path. And I said, I think, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago that there's other things from Facebook to, uh, to different, uh, uh, different modes that people get into, and, and there's just things there to distract and take you away from what is something that's good and wholesome that you want to look at. It's just how things are operating these days, and it's, it's just the way it is. But what's behind all of that? And I have to say that what's behind that is sort of what we're reading here. It's, it's this sort of a waiting web of trouble, of, of things that pull us away. It's, it's just a quiet voice waiting and sort of saying, hey, check this out. Come on in here. Uh, take this sideline. Uh, uh, this sagway won't, won't hurt you. Come on over here for a second. Just take a minute. And it's usually some stupid thing that takes you forever to get out of it. And so we have these things in our life. If you can be driving down the road, and it used to be, that today it's not so much a big deal, but it used to be that somebody put a, there'd be a bunch of billboards along the highway, and there'd be one billboard, there'd be like some stupid thing, and it's just, it gets your attention and grabs you, and then that's when you have a wreck, you know? So that's not a good thing. I guess what I'm saying is that the world is bombarding us with this kind of stuff, and what's behind it is the evil one himself. The prince and power of the air has control of all the advertising, has control of all the media, and uses all of those things, good and evil, to pull us away from what is better. If I'm wrong, stand and say so. You know, when we just realize the day we live in, this is the thing. So what's happening is all these voices are looking for the foolish person who walks by and they want to trap another soul into an eternal destiny that that person doesn't even believe in in the first place. And now they may be gone. What's the message? It's in verse 17. She's got this message. Remember the message uh, from, from wisdom. Uh, wisdom has slaughtered her meat. She's mixed her wine. She's uh, furnished her table. In other words, wisdom has so much to offer us that will meet all of our needs. Look what she offers. Stolen water is sweet. 
and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. What wisdom from the world wants us to know is that uh, whatever I have, uh, if it's been stolen, uh, doesn't it taste better? Isn't it more fun? Isn't it more exciting? Isn't it more exhilarating? If uh, this has been stolen, it's, it's sweet, it's wonderful, it's exciting. Uh, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Uh, and, and really what she's offering are crumbs and poison and, and nothing good that's going to uh, build our lives or meet our needs or satisfy our hunger. Uh, nothing that's going to uh, help us understand truth in a better way. Matter of fact, it's going to be camouflaged as nothing but, but poisonous, uh, non-nutritional things that we're going to have in our lives to kill us. Stolen crumbs... That's going to be something I'm going to be offered by the world. That's going to satisfy me. Any person that I've ever counseled with who has broken the rules, any person who has been unfaithful to their spouse that I've ever talked to is not happy, really. They can make up a story but they're not happy. Any guy that I've counseled with who's been sucked into pornography to the point where they can't stop are miserable. I think sometimes we think they're just, you know, the spouse is saying he's just having fun by himself. And no, he's not having fun. He's miserable. She is miserable. It doesn't satisfy. It's a lie. Whereas the table of God brings us blessing and peace and joy. But this person instead is going to have emptiness, hopelessness, brokenness. It's going to be a person who has guilt, regret, and major sorrow. Look at verse 18. Wisdom comes back with a message now. Wisdom says this, but he does not know. He or she, we could say, does not know that the dead are there. There's the ultimate statement on living in the world. It's just full of dead people. Look at the next phrase. That her guests are in the depths of hell. Dear uh, friends, uh, uh, if there's someone today who doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior, that epitaph may be on your own life. If Jesus Christ isn't of your interest, if heaven and blessing and joy and peace and satisfaction, knowing Christ personally, the Son of God who created the world and gave his life for you, if you want to exchange all of that for whatever this world has that never has satisfied you and never will, Make that choice, and this is the end of your life. Hell. Not to mention a very sad life the older you get. You know, when we're young, we just don't think it's going to happen, but when it happens, it happens. And suddenly you realize how alone you are. So let me close by saying this to the church. Choose wisdom today, folks. Do not listen to the voices of this world, please. Stand on wisdom. That means you've got to know wisdom. And there's no other foundation that can build into your life a sense of blessing, an eternal blessing. Hear wisdom's call. 
We need to be able to distinguish between the voices of this world, the myriad voices with the voice of God himself. And finally, obey God's wisdom. It's the only hope a person has for having God's goodness on your life now and having God's reward as you enter the presence of his eternity together with him. I don't know about you, but I choose wisdom. Thank you for the word of God. And we should give thanks right now to the one who has given us his word and pray for those that you know around you that may not know Christ and ask for his mercy over their life before it's too late. Lord, your word is true. Your word is powerful. It's real. It's practical. Today we've been looking again at wisdom. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided for us your truth. And it's of the highest evaluation. It's the highest treasure that there is in our life because your word has led us to truth, to the recognition of our sin, our need for a savior, and the one who provides the way, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lord, we... uh, We are a fickle people. We can pick up the Bible one day and the next day not. One day we say we need it, the next day we forget about it. And Lord, we have sometimes in our families, we have those that are not listening, those who are resistant. And whether through our own parenting issues or just through life itself, we might have feel as though we're losing them to the clutches of the world and this foolish woman that we're reading about. And Lord, I ask your mercy over those in family members today who are dealing with this and are praying and asking you for mercy over the life of someone else. I ask your power over that situation. But Lord, I also ask that you would give grace and strength and a resistance to giving in to the pressures that might come from someone who's a scoffer, that we stand our ground on truth and we be unbendable in that truth and yet be as loving as we can be and as prayerful as we can be for those who are lost. I ask your blessing on this church in the days ahead. Help us to stand faithful on your word. Let nothing else lead us or guide us. May we not listen to any other voices, no matter what they say, No matter how right we think we are about something, may your word only be that which guides us. And we ask your mercy and blessing in the days ahead, Lord. As the evil rises, may our righteousness also rise to meet the day. We ask your blessing. Be with those who are visiting today. Encourage them in your word. Uh, Be with those who are ill and can't be with us today. May your grace be upon them. And we give you all the praise and glory in Christ's name. 